Well, I think that was a little unexpected. Premier Jason Kenney resigning. We'll chat with Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist, get her take on things. Also talk with Barry Morishita, leader of the Alberta Party. Does this present an opportunity for them? The CFL has reached an agreement and the strike has been averted. We'll talk with Morley Scott and Mark Stephen. Also, how many times a day do you ask somebody, hey, how are you? Is it just a greeting or should it be something more? Continuing with our discussion and analysis of Jason Kenney's announcement yesterday and the results of the leadership vote and what's next for this province. I mean, if, if you have the answer to that, uh, wow, good for you. I don't know if anybody knows, but we do know that it's going to be interesting as it always is. And we have people that we lean on in these times. And one of them is Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist, consultant and writer. And she's good enough to join us again this morning. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Hi, I'm I'm doing well. Lots of information over the past 24 hours, but I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, no kidding. First of all, uh, as somebody who's pretty plugged into conservative circles, did you see that coming last night? I was blindsided. Um, I did not. And to clarify there, I think there's two aspects of what happened last night. The actual number sure, the result, yeah, 1.4 and the actual intention that Premier Kenny is, is going to step down wasn't terribly surprised about the number i thought it would be a bit higher maybe like eight or nine or ten percent higher but definitely shocked about the intention um for premier to step down i don't i don't think anybody saw that coming yeah i mean he had been so adamant that 50 percent plus one was going to be enough i was with you i was thinking somewhere around 65 percent, which i didn't know if that would be enough do you think when he came out and said listen i've got 51.4 percent um, did it? Did he realize, or did somebody help him to realize that this whole process of trying to bring some unity back to the party had failed, and he needed to go? How do you think he got to that conclusion? Well, I can only speculate, but I think what happens a lot of times with these with these situations, these leadership races, these um, sort of scenarios, is that you have sort of like what they think, what I think, and the truth. And when you're premier and when you have that role and when you're working really hard to keep it, maybe sometimes people aren't always like as forthcoming about what's happening. I mean, I don't know how many people, I don't care how confident you are if you were super against Kenny. Most people, when they're face-to-face with a premier, aren't going to, you know, yell at him or or really, like a lot of people are much braver sort of behind, um, behind closed doors and behind social media and all that kind of stuff. So I can understand why it seemed like maybe, um, maybe the numbers would be a bit different. And, and so I can only imagine that when those results came in, um, it was just a bit of a shock because there were a lot of people, even people who maybe didn't love the premier, maybe it wasn't their first choice. A lot of people were really wanting him in my conversations that I was having to stick around because people were not so much thinking about, Hey, let me get what I personally want out of the leader, but what is best for the party moving forward? And I think a lot of people, obviously not as many people as we thought, but a lot of people thought that stability would probably be what was best for the party. But but that's not how it turned out. No, definitely not. And you, I mean, the stability, there's zero stability now. And I think, who knows? We don't even know how long this might take to get a new leader. We don't know who it's going to be. What's next for this party? If you're if you're in the UCP or the conservative movement in this province, what has to happen like like now, I mean, they've got to try and restore some stability. We've got an election less than a year away, Melissa. 
Yeah, so what's going to happen in the sort of immediate is the first thing that the caucus needs to secure is who is going to serve as interim leader. Now, our um, constitution and our party documents um, preclude anybody who serves as interim leader from running for the sort of right. permanent leader. leader. Yeah. So that's step one. Who's going to serve as interim leader? There's been speculation that Kenny may stay on. Um, there's been also other names thrown around as to who could serve as interim leader. We just don't know what that's going to be. Premier Kenny has not given a timeline in yeah. terms of when he's stepping down. So that's kind of step one. And so once that's figured out, the situation becomes slightly more clear in that if Premier Kenny does not serve as interim leader, it's possible he could run for leader as well. It's possible he could stay on as an MLA um, and and sort of resign at a later date. Um, it's possible he could resign right away. And then, of course, the question mark of how the leadership race is going to unfold, what the party will have to do is appoint a committee, a leadership election organizing committee that will determine rules for the race, when it's going to happen, all of that kind of stuff. And then you'll start to see probably once more of those details have been clear, who's going to throw their name in um, after that, even though I know we have an announcement coming this morning from Danielle Smith. And I I wonder what that could be. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think you'll see most people sort of wait until there's more clarity before coming out, um, generally speaking. You mentioned Danielle Smith and yeah, she's got an announcement coming up at 11 o'clock and we'll let you know what she says. Uh, Brian Jean last night, I mean, there's no surprise there. He said he was in. That's the whole reason he's back in politics. Um, And then just talking to the audience this morning, Melissa, a lot of people saying we can't do that. We got to stop driving through the rearview mirror. We've got to look forward. Forward. We can't go back to Brian Jean or Danielle Smith. Um, what do you think in terms of party membership? Is, which sentiment is stronger? We like Brian Jean and Danielle Smith and what they represented as Wild Rose politicians, or we need to move on to something new and different? I think part of the reason why we're having this discussion right now is that the party is a little bit unclear about that. And and that is something that I think needs to be sorted out. Leadership races are not the best arena or venue for that to happen but that's i think why there's there keeps coming up these tensions i think that there are definitely people that are within caucus and party members that think that um you know the sort of wild rose type leadership is better there's also people within the caucus who don't want that at all and who want um maybe a more centrist or 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 pragmatic leadership um to come in so this is this is i think the issue is that we actually don't know, we, we don't stand as united as we probably should be to sort of assert what next steps are. And there's this difference that's happened within the party of people being critical of the personality of the leader and also critical of the principles. And so I think we need to figure out what the mix of principle and personality is yeah. in, in terms of what we want. And only then can we really have a definitive thing. But there's not, to answer your question, there's not a, a coherent like agreement on what that should be. In talking to the audience today, it seems a lot of people think the UCP has really hurt themselves. Again, uh, the conservative movement, generally speaking, and and Rachel Notley is the big winner with everything that's going on right now, an election less than a year away. Um, How do you see it? Is this this sort of renewal and rebirth a good thing, or is it just more chaos that makes it really difficult to go into an election less than a year from now? Where, Where are they in terms of what happened last night as a party going forward? I mean... Look, I am a conservative, but credit where credit is due. The NDP has done a really, really good job of um, being an effective opposition. Rachel Notley is really well liked as a leader. 
And so for them, I think they need to just continue to be consistent in what they're doing. I think they need to try and stay out of the drama that's happening. Um, But in terms of where the UCP is positioned, it really depends on what happens. It really depends on what happens next. I know that's not like a, an ideal answer, but they could be in a really, really strong position if they choose a leader who can kind of come in and like really get things going and get everybody aligned and who's really focused and who's really strategic and just sort of takes a no-nonsense approach to driving into the next election. Or if there's a leader that's elected that um, either isn't going to be palatable to the majority of Albertans or was only is only really supported by a small um, number of caucus members, then that creates further division. So the most ideal situation, I think, for the UCP is to choose a leader that's going to provide stability, strong leadership, and is somebody that is palpable to Albertans. So that's probably more of a like centrist and pragmatic leader. And we'll see if one emerges in the coming days. Melissa, always great insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Back to the story of the day, which, of course, is uh, Jason Kenney announcing that he will be stepping down as leader of the UCP. Um, of course, political opponents keeping a close eye on this. Rachel Notley putting out a statement saying, I want to thank Jason Kenney for his public service. There are obviously many things about which we don't agree, but that doesn't negate the time and the sacrifice that goes into taking on the role of premier. The work is never easy. The days are long and often difficult, as I'm sure today is. I wish Jason best, and I will have more to say to Albertans tomorrow. In Ottawa, Justin Trudeau was asked about Jason Kenney. He also put out a statement yesterday thanking uh, Kenny for his public service. Uh, he was asked to expand on it this morning. Obviously, uh, I want to uh, recognize that Jason Kenny served his community, his province, his country for many, many years. Uh, and I wish him the very best in uh, whatever next steps uh, he takes on. It's very easy and it's very smart to take um, the position that Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau took. Um, it's simple. It's classy called the high road most politicians will jump right in with both feet and say i'd like to thank him uh, and uh, just sort of have that around them for that day not all of them though i mean some of them are asked to expand a little farther and want to get a little deeper into the discussion randy boissonneau um, who is an edmonton liberal mp was talked was asked to talk about jason kenny and, and his departure of course he's from alberta he's an edmonton mp um, Boissonneau says he believes that Jason Kenney was pushed out of the Provincial United Conservative Party because he wasn't extreme enough. And just six months ago, we saw that happen to Mr. O'Toole at the federal level. And just yesterday, we saw Mr. Fass resign his finance critic role because he critiqued Pierre Polyev in the leadership race. So the conservative movement in this country is heading to a dark place. But we have real issues in Alberta and we need real leadership. And so I really do think that it's time for the moderates in conservative movements in this country to step up and ask themselves, where's this train going and where's it going to stop? So there's Randy Boissonneau um, talking about some of the politics around the decision. And as I say, Trudeau and Notley decided not to do that, at least not in the immediate aftermath. Um, but, you know, opponents will pick and choose how they want to react to these situations. And it does present opportunity in some cases, right? I think it does for the Alberta party, generally speaking. We've talked to them before, and I've told you before, I'm kind of surprised that they're not a bigger player. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in this province that say, hey, I'm not really all in with the NDP and I'm not all in with the UCP. Where, where's my home? I'm, I'm a little bit more moderate. I'm a little closer to the middle. And 
That's what the Alberta party has said they are, but they haven't gained a lot of traction. So let's chat with Barry Morishita, who is leader of the Alberta party. It's always nice to chat. Barry, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Shay. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so let's get your reaction. I mean, politics is never dull in this province. It's always, I mean, there's always something going on. First of all, did you see this coming yesterday, and what's your reaction to it? Uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't see the resignation, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment. And, and, I, and you know, I, I've been uh, in public service for 16 years, and so uh, I know uh, what it takes and, and how long and how dedicated you have to be to do the job so um you know he should be thanked for his service and regardless of all these differences that are out there but you know it is time to turn the page and it's it's time to for albertans to look for the best choice for them randy boissonot talking about um the progressives need to stand up and grab the wheel and help chart a course in this province do you think I mean, obviously, fundamentally, when you take a look at what went on with the UCP, that seems to be the fracture, right? The more progressive conservatives with the more uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, big C conservatives, whatever the case may be. Do you agree with Randy in saying, you know what, the party is moving in a progressive direction? Well, but I think Albertans are progressive. I think that's the key. I, I, I don't think it matters which way the UCP goes, because we've had the UCP in power now. We've had the NDP in power, and neither really delivered on uh, the things that matter to Albertans in a way that Albertans would like them to deal with it. And I think, it, I think if we get too hung up on what the parties stand for, we should talk about what Albertans require. And, and I think Albertans are progressive when it comes to looking after their neighbours and friends. I think they're progressive and thoughtful and innovative when it comes to new ideas for the economy and how to build communities. And I think they care about uh, where their tax dollars go, how they're spent. And so uh, I, that's, the, that's the track record I have. That's how I've governed in my time uh, municipally and, and running a provincial organization. And I think that's what we need to talk about is what Albertans are looking for. And I think the Alberta Party reflects that. You know, Barry, you do have an interesting perspective. Mayor of Brooks, uh, you were with the Municipalities Association for a long time. When we take a look at what's going on in politics, and you and I were laughing and joking about it because it's the way it is in Alberta. It's very chaotic sometimes at the provincial level. As someone who's worked at the municipality level and has aspirations on working at the provincial level, how important is stability between those two realms? It's extremely important. You cannot have a collaborative relationship. You can't move the province forward and these communities forward without having respect and without listening. And one of the things that's been frustrating has been frustrating for municipal leaders in the past, and I believe it still is, and it certainly was one of my uh, big issues when I was the AUMA president, was the lack of real, meaningful uh, collaboration with municipalities. You know, we have we have two huge municipalities in Calgary and Edmonton, uh, with over half the, you know, two million people, over two and a half million people in those two communities. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not part of the conversation enough with the provincial government. We have another uh, 85% of the people live in urbans. We have all of that landmass that's governed by rural municipalities that is the strength and economic strength of this province. And they're not brought to the table. And that's very frustrating. Um, we have solutions. We have resources out there. And, the, and as leader of the Alberta Party, I've seen it. I've toured this whole province. I recognize that transparency and integrity and listening matters and that if we do that, we're going to move this province forward. And that's that's what I think Albertans want. They want to move forward. Uh, They want to move forward with a leader who's had the experience uh, and a track record of, of 
governing that way, and I do, and the Alberta Party's principled approach to leadership, uh, it will serve them well. So I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about what the possibilities are and take a step forward. Um, Barry, last one, and then I'll let you go. Uh, With all the turmoil that we've seen within the UCP, um, has that led to any increase in what uh, you're seeing in terms of fundraising, people getting involved with your party? Are people looking for a new home with all the drama that they're seeing in the UCP? Yeah, you know what? I think after today's vote, we weren't quite sure yesterday's vote. What we weren't quite sure what where everybody would go. But I, but I think regardless, we are where we are. We, uh, the premier's resigning. There's going to be a leadership race. That means people need to look for a choice. And I think uh, that uh, they're looking for us. We've had lots of calls and texts over the last 24 hours uh, to talk about moving forward. Um, lots of inquiries. Our our uh, nominations are open. Uh, my own, I've been the first, I'm the first candidate nominated for the Alberta Party officially for the election coming up. And uh, we've got lots of people uh, moving forward to do that. So I, I think we present an opportunity. Um, I think we have uh, the best interests of Albertans at heart uh, because we are those people. We're people who have run businesses. We're people who have run municipal governments. We're people who have uh, had the day-to-day struggles that... Uh, that Albertans uh, need to be heard on and that we can move together on because the strength of this province is its people and and I think the possibilities are literally limitless if we can engage them and bring them along and be part of this great process. Barry, I appreciate your time this morning. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but uh, always nice to chat. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Shay. Appreciate it. That is Barry Morishita. He is leader of the Alberta Party. And uh, yeah, interesting to see where they fit into this whole melee that's going on in our province now provincially in terms of politics never a dull moment um and you know sometimes you can capitalize on crisis we'll see if the alberta party does this time around one thing that i think we kind of expected at least we had our fingers crossed and were hopeful for was exactly what we did get last night the second strike in cfl history appears to be over subject to ratification the cfl and the players association apparently have reached a tentative agreement so get the details now on what that means what the deal might look like what the issues were and what it means for the season going forward we're joined by two cfl legends we've got morley scott voice of the edmonton elks on 630 ched and we've also got mark stephen who is voice of the calgary Stan Peters on 770 CHQR. Guys, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Happy to be here, Shake. Yeah, good to be able to talk and get out of the powerful gale force winds here in Calgary, I'll tell you. Okay, wow. I wanted to ask, because I just got a text mark from a listener saying, hey, let people know if they're driving on the Deerfoot to be careful around Southland, because the CarMax uh, canvas tarp is about to fly onto the Deerfoot. How ba- I mean, you had to shut down the, the tailgate party last night. Yeah. How bad is it out there? Oh, really bad. The goalposts are swaying here at practice. I can even at the Van Stadium, some of the signs around the stadium are flapping. It's uh, it's powerful, and uh, yeah, it's cold, and uh, good to be uh, out of the cold for a couple of minutes anyway. <laughs> so it is really uh, rough, and that wind you saw last night at the Red Lot uh, seems to have only grown worse. And uh, Morley, you just took it inside, right? I mean, enough of this nonsense. You're, it's yeah, raining it's, a little bit, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not as not as windy, but it's raining a little bit, and, and the Elks have moved into the field house for uh, practice today, which is rather <laughs> difficult because they got a hundred players on the field, and they're working now on a forty yard field instead of one that's one hundred and ten yards with with the big end zone. So yeah, a little, a little crowded. crowded, a little crowded out there, but it's a little bit safer. Nobody's going to be slipping and getting a groin injury or anything on a on a wet turf. 
And Mark, let's just start with the announcement that came out last night. Do we know that the Elks and the Stampeders were continuing to practice, but the rest of the league had been on hold? That was due to labor laws. So, um, what was the what was the sticking point when it came to coming up with a new CBA between the CFLP, CFL and the CFLPA? Well, quite, uh, there were a few topics. Uh, one of them was the ratio, which is always a contentious topic. Uh, how many Canadians start? How many are on the roster? Uh, that was uh, up for review, so that was one of it. Uh, there's basically a bit of a lack of trust, or has been over the years. Were the players getting all the financial information they needed? Obviously, they wanted to uh, up the uh, salaries, particularly at the low end of the scale, for some of the players, and uh, just a few other procedural things like that. So uh, there were quite a few issues, and you know, the CFL got them together, but it was good that they've got a longer-term deal if uh, we are led to believe it's a seven-year deal, which would be great news. Any issue here, guys, that this won't be ratified? None. I don't think any at all. I think it'll be ratified quickly. I think both sides of this are going to take what their negotiators have, have put together and ratified. I mean, the players, for the most part, said they were staying out of it. They didn't want to talk about it, you know, during that the first four days of camp. Uh, at least in Edmonton, they didn't want to talk about it. They just said, we're leaving it up to the guys who are negotiating the deal to get the best deal possible. So I, I don't think there's any any issue at all that it won't be ratified, especially from the player's standpoint. I don't think the owners will, will uh, have any issues with it as well. Okay, yeah, I don't think they would have told the other seven teams, too, outside of Alberta to get back on the field if they weren't comfortable that this thing is going to pass uh, with flying colors. That's what I was wondering, Mark. The other teams are back on the field because due to the labor laws, the, the Elks and the Stamps have been practicing <laughs> all week. So um, is the schedule, everything going ahead as planned, or are we going to see some delays here? I think it's going to be uh, business as usual for uh, the Elks and the Stampeders. I know the Elks are on the field now, uh, and I've been just looking around the league, and everybody seems to be getting back on the field today. The only difference is, I think, for the other seven teams, is they're just doing short workouts today, for the most part, doing walkthroughs, and a lot of them are, are either late in the afternoon or some of them are into the evening as well because they're allowing uh, players to either have meetings and, and probably in the ratification process as well, plus get into town and, and get themselves set up. So a lot of the teams aren't going to be on the field until uh, mid-afternoon or, or late in the afternoon today. But everybody looks like everybody's going to be back in the field, which is great. The only casualty really has been that game on Monday, which yeah. is supposed to be in Regina. That's been moved to May 31st now. So other than that, everything is, is, is go for the Canadian Football League, which is great. Yeah, I think that was one of the pinch points, too, that really uh, moved the negotiations along. I mean, uh, they were looking at either having to cancel or, as we now know, rescheduling that game. But that would have put the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in a pretty awkward spot of having to either rebate or refund or credit their season ticket holders, their vendors, their suppliers, uh, their sponsors. So, you know, that we're talking real money once that starts to happen. Yeah, exactly. And we're in a position now with what's gone on with COVID and everything. This season is so important to... Every single franchise and the league in general, it needs to be operating as smoothly and seamlessly as possible, right? And I think that's why everybody was so confused with why it just took so long to get done because both sides of it, uh, the players and, and ownership and all the fans knew that this has, this has to be a good season. It has to be an uninterrupted season and it has to be a season where they, they kind of uh, take advantage of the excitement that people have to see a full season of football because they haven't had that since 2019. And, and that's why I think everyone was so surprised that it took so long to get this deal done, but deadlines make deals, right? And there was clearly a deadline with that game coming up on Monday and the rest of the preseason schedule kicking in later next week. There was clearly uh, some issues in place, and, and I think that helped get it done for everybody. 
and there's just limited flexibility, particularly in the preseason, with how you can reschedule games because, you know, you need to give players rest as well. And the preseason has to end on the third when the Stamps and the Elks play, but other teams do too. The roster cutdown day is June 4th. So they were facing uh, crunch in time up with the calendar as well. So that certainly sped things along. Gentlemen, I appreciate you taking a few minutes with us, stepping away from practice to give us an update. Thanks so much, and uh, can't wait till we uh, kick things off this season. Thanks very much. Anytime, Shay. Good to talk to you, and we'll see see in a couple weeks, Mark. Yes, you will. Take care. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. That is Mark Stephen, voice of the Calgary Stampeders on 770 CHQR, and Morley Scott, voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Ched in Edmonton. I get texts every day from some people. I don't know if it's the same two or three people that get angry about this, but it might be who say, tell people to stop asking how you are. Because typically I'll say, hey, Joe Blow, you're on there. And they'll go, hi, Shay, how are you? Um, and uh, people say, tell them to stop asking how are you. We know how you are. You've said it 300 times today. It's enough already. And I never do. I never say, don't ask how are you. And I don't necessarily ask it back. But I think to me, how are you has become a convention. And I think it is for all of us, right? I mean, they don't actually expect me to answer. They don't care how I am. That's not why we ask the question, at least to me. If I ask somebody, hey, how you doing? I don't really care. I honestly don't. And I I know that I'm a little bit detached from other people. I'm not the friendliest guy. I'm a little bit um, socially diminished in some ways. I'm not sure what it is. But I don't think that puts me too far out of step with most of society. I think when we say to somebody, hey, how's it going? How you doing? How are you? We're not necessarily wanting someone to sit down and say, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what's going on. No, it's kind of the same thing as saying hi. For me anyway, maybe I'm wrong. We're going to chat now with someone who's raising some questions around this salutation that we all use. Marnie Wedlake is an assistant professor of mental health and wellness and a registered psychotherapist at Western. Marnie, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Marnie, as I said, I'm not a very touchy guy. I'm certainly not considered friendly by most people. I don't think mostly it has to do with the fact that I'm very socially awkward, I think, when I meet people face to face. But uh, I don't think I'm that out of step, though, in saying hey, how you doing, not really actually caring how you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not actually asking you to open up and tell me what's going on in your world. It's, it's just a greeting. It's rhetorical. Am I, am I different? I don't think you're different, but I, I wonder about, do you actually not care or do you actually not necessarily want to hear the sort of in-depth details of how someone's Fair. doing, or do you not necessarily know what to do if they actually tell you the kind of the nitties and the gritties of what's going on in their life? Two things. That, that might be challenging. Yeah, two things. First of all, it's not that I don't care. I mean, if somebody said, you know what, I, I know you're just asking a rhetorical question, but listen, I got a problem. I'm wondering if you could help me. I'm there. I'm there to help. But at the same time, you also mentioned not sure what to do if they say I've got a problem. That's me for sure. Uh, definitely not really feeling like I'm equipped to help somebody having some sort of a crisis. So I think both things are at play. Sure. I mean, you know, it, it sort of speaks to a much bigger question about uh, a really topic, really, about the kind of uh, socially created awkwardness around um, authenticity in our human condition, right, is we're, we're just really not good with in-depth stuff. We've sort of um, gotten away from that, and we're really great at skimming the surface, and there's a whole lot of messaging from various, um, various uh, I guess, kind of 
social powers, be it the healthcare system or the media or, you know, popular, um, you know, popular discourse that tells us that um, we skim the surface, right? So we, we're not great at going in depth and we're, quite frankly, kind of out of practice. Should we change that? I mean, do we need to... I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a society where every person you run into, you're asking genuinely to tell them how they're feeling. Is, is that what you're saying maybe is something we should examine? You know, no, I don't think so. And I, I quite frankly, I don't think we could tolerate that. Yeah, right? exactly. I think it's yeah. going to be a, a situation by situation uh, scenario, and it's going to be depend on the individual person. You know, and it's, you know, as we were putting this story together, um, at least I can speak for myself, certainly aware of this is a Pandora's box, it right? Is, yeah. and, and in some ways, it's a Medusa, right? You cut off one head and 10 more appear. And, and it really is, what are we asking for here? I mean, I think, I think making space for greater authenticity is always a good thing, right? Is that um, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's what we do with it. And then I think we have to, if we're going to make better space, or a greater space where we've got to understand that not everyone can handle it, and that doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean that it's a reflection on me. So we tend to we tend to personalize things. So a great example is you're going through the checkout line at the grocery store, and the individual who's pulling your groceries through <laughs> kind of seems to be a little bit crabby, yeah, right. And and the sort of common response is, well, what's what's gotten into that person? We sort of personalize it, right? It's like you don't even know the person, yeah, exactly. but we're personalizing it, right? So so I'm you know on the one hand, you know, greater authenticity or more space for authenticity, I think is a good thing. But I, I got to tell you honestly, I'm not entirely sure that most people are equipped to, to you know, deal with that. No, I or think to, or to stand, handle the rejection that comes with that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. We, we, I mean, I, I always talk to my kids about managing your expectations because you don't know how somebody else is going to respond, and you have no control over it. And you're absolutely right. If you're expecting some sort of response or some sort, of, and it's not there. It, it, it can definitely make things worse. But what about if it's me, um, and I'm, let's say I'm having a horrible day with um, Sarah, my producer, and, and just really having a bad day, something very personal happened between her and I, and somebody at the grocery store, like you say, says, hey, you okay, what's going on? To me, that might seem like an overstep. Like, I don't know you. I don't want to start talking about my personal business. Is that another consideration? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, right. I mean, there are um, there's this whole whole idea of earned relationships, right? Yes, yeah. If you know someone really well, I mean, even humor, right? Joshing and sort of teasing. If, you, if you've just met someone, they haven't earned the relationship. They haven't earned the privilege of being of teasing you yet, right? So we have we have some really interesting kind of. Um, unspoken, almost protocols or rules that we have when we're in relation with each other. And I, you know, if we could, if we could kind of toss aside the hidden agendas, I, I think this is what authenticity is about, is we could toss aside the hidden agendas and say, you know, can I tell you what's going on? And the person can say, no, you know what, I, I just, I don't have the space for it in my, in my yeah. emotions. You say, okay, hey, no worries. But really in that little bit of an exchange, there's tons of room for, uh, you know, I feel rejected. Yeah. I feel the person doesn't care about me, and all these hidden agendas that just complicate things. Exactly, and and like you say, it's that starting point. It's that earned relationship, that, that earned capacity to have those kind of conversations. Because because you can't do it with everybody. That needs to be the starting point. Right, right, and you know, and I mean, it, you know, 
a greater authenticity. I mean, watch what you ask for, right? Somebody may say, no, I don't want to talk to you, and I don't want to tell you about my life, and I don't know what you're going to do with it, right? And we have to be prepared for that. And sometimes that is perceived as a rejection of some kind, yeah. and a lot of people can't handle that, right? So it, so I think if we sort of go back around the bush here and we say, well, how do we get to this place where we're just skimming the surface? Because if we don't skim the surface, it opens up this Pandora's box for all these other relational dynamics that are challenging to sit with. But then I ask you, is that reason to shy away from it? It's a great question, Marnie. It really is. <laughs> and I think right. it might change on the position that you're in and the day of the week. There's a million different factors that go into it, right? There's no easy answer to that question. Totally. It'll change with all kinds of things. The yeah. person you're talking to, you know, you might be a different person that you were, you know, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. There's so many factors. And can we, I guess maybe what we're asking is, can we be more authentic in that we're open to the fact that all of us are on a bit of a roller coaster, a bit of a seesaw all day, and that's about us. It's not about, you know, the exchange necessarily. It's about us. And can we uh, accept that without taking it on or owning it or feeling rejected by it? Does that allow for more authenticity? A great conversation. Marty, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.